This podcast is sponsored by the Primal Blueprint Expert Certification. Want to become an authority in the ancestral health community? Join the ranks of today's top experts in paleo and primal living by completing the Primal Blueprint Expert Certification, the world's premier program in primal lifestyle principles. Start today for only a dollar down by visiting primalblueprint.com slash get hyphen certified. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. We have a very special guest today, Gabrielle Reese. We first knew her as a professional volleyball superstar, but aside from being an athlete, Gabrielle is a model, mother, author, and fitness leader. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I want to talk about so much. Uh, well, you've written a couple of books. The first one in 1998 was called Big Girl in the Middle, about your athletic endeavors. And more recently in 2013, I just finished your book and I loved it. It's called My Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper. What a great book. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, it was meant to be fun, but also just having, you know, I don't want to say an open dialogue, but try to have an open dialogue. My whole idea was, you know, I really always want to talk about health or eating and moving and that, that historically can be kind of boring. And so I thought, well, why don't we talk about everything and then see where, you know, we could sort of borrow from certain parts of our life and make more time to get people moving and taking better care of themselves. So really what was the premise was, you know, to discuss like taking care of ourselves, but you know, you can't really ignore our, you know, our relationships if we're parenting, um, you know, and things like that. Yeah. And I want to get into a few of those too, but, um, you know, just because people will be wondering, well, I'd like to start off with a couple of the boring fitness, <laughs> a couple of the boring fitness, uh, fitness yeah. questions. And then I really want to get into some of this juicy stuff in your book uh, uh-huh. and on your website. Um, Aside, you know, obviously you've been training for many, many years, and I'm sure you had a very strict regimen back in the day. But aside from uh, specifics, is there something over the years that you sort of avoid now that you didn't then? Is there something, you know, that you're like, you know, I don't do that anymore because I find out that food doesn't work for me? You know, certainly when I was competing, I I lifted much heavier than I do now. And I think it served a purpose, but I sort of feel like I would have integrated more functional movement and tried to figure out the way to how can I be strong and explosive, but yet functional and completely, you know, be as flexible as I can be through a full range of motion. These are concepts that I I wasn't really introduced to as much when I was competing. What about your approach towards food? Are, Are there certain things that you've eliminated over the years that you've, you know, because we've learned things about, or do you just kind of still eat the same way that you used to? Hey, listen, when I was in high school in the 80s, we were carbo-loading with coffee. <laughs> I bet. So I certainly think that just getting informed or educated about, 
you know, I was in fact talking about a guy who was a, who's a, a tennis player the other day, sort of, you know, like top 200 or one of those people who's kind of right in that place where either it's like do or die kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, you know, what's interesting is as you go and you learn more, and luckily I have access to a lot of people who are willing to sh- help and, and, and share their information is, you know, this idea that we have sort of all these stored calories from fat and how do we access it versus, you know, that quick burning fuel that most of us get to because that's what our brains ask for. And we never get out of that cycle and get ourselves into that deep um, ca- caloric storage that I certainly wish I had known more about um, when I was competing. But again, I sort of always joke that it's, you know, God's way of leveling everything out, that you're not allowed to be really young and bouncy and have like the best nutrition on the planet and like the smartest training. It's like you kind of get one certain things at certain times, you know, and obviously there's athletes that, you know, are fortunate enough that they kind of get the combination early. But yeah, I mean, I've changed my eating quite a bit. Yeah, moving into that more sort of, yes, fat burning mode and relying on fat as fuel versus that heavy carb, yeah, mode, which is, you know, all what we're about. So uh, love that you've also, you're coming around, you've come around to that. I want to talk about HIAX. You have a new fitness program you've introduced at some 24-hour fitnesses. And can you tell people a little bit about that? There is videos on your website, GabrielleReese.com, for anyone that's interested to see a little snippet of it. Can you just give us a snapshot of what this new workout is and how you developed it? Sure. I mean, first of all, and it's always really important for people to under, like, I don't know why it's important, but I always feel it's important for people to understand that I never intended to create the curriculum. That in fact, I moved, I, you know, Laird Knight, um, my husband Laird is from Hawaii and for 20 years, we've lived six months, based six months out of the year in Hawaii. And for many years, we were on the island of Maui, and there's quite a lot of gyms there. But then we moved back to his home island of Kauai about seven or eight years ago. And when we moved there, um, they closed a the gym down on the North Shore. So I started with a few friends of mine, like eight friends of mine. I said, hey, listen, I'll load up my truck. I'll run out the community center three days a week, and you guys train with me. Well, it's a small place. People didn't have really that many places to train. That You know, they had obviously nature, but... And, um, so it turned into, you know, people that I didn't know, like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 people. And, and, uh, we moved it out of the community center into a warehouse and, um, I charged people a dollar. I said it was my community service. Um, but so what happened was after about teaching the class for three, three years, I, I realized a couple things. Well, high X, first of all, is it changes every time when I do it for 24 hour, uh, they get a new workout every week. When I teach the class, it's different each time. So what you're always trying to do, obviously, is keep things changing so the body can continue to make improvements and and you see results. Okay, so that's one. Um, People are always saying, hey, listen, I don't have time. I don't know what to do. I get bored. Um, I don't have a lot of space. Whatever the reasons. I can't afford it. So HIX, you know, it has all the elements of training. Now, if you said to me, hey, is it it best to work out one-on-one with a trainer who understands your imbalances and can really curtail um, um, you know, a routine for you. Absolutely. But most of us don't have that time access and certainly can't afford it. So high X has, you know, cardio elements, proprioception and balance. You're working on one foot a lot, resistance training, strength training, and, um, a little bit of stretching. So it has all some really important elements, um, for, for being fit and functional. And, um, and then the other part of it that is because I had so many people in the class, I had to put people on teams so the teams is actually one of the most important things because the team oftentimes is sort of a similar group. So you could have an incredibly diverse group of young and old, male and female, 
um, really conditioned, really deconditioned, all in one room, but they're on teams that sort of are reflective of them. And on days, for example, that I don't want to show up, I would show up for my teammates. So it creates that accountability built in um, accountability that that's how we really are successful. So after a few years of doing it, I, I said, you know, I could teach other people easily how to um, administer this class. And I, and I just saw so many benefits. I mean, the workouts are hard, but everything has a, a modification and a regression. So it's completely doable for anybody. It's safe. Um, if you are, you know, highly fit, then you will get results if, if you're willing to, to work hard. And if you sort of said to me, Hey, this is all I have time for as far as in resistance training three times a week, it's a very solid program. So that's how it was born. And, and because I did it for free, basically, it allowed me the room to truly experiment. And so I used to, t- you know, to joke with my class and say, it's not a democracy, it's a dictatorship. I tried, everything <laughs> you know, I've taught the class over a thousand times. It's like I flushed it out pretty, I want to say pretty thoroughly. And of course, you're always staying open to learning and adding the, the new things that you're learning into the program. But as it is now, it's, it's a very solid program. I love that you do this in Hawaii and that you offer this to people. You talked about it a little bit in your book, probably before you named it High X, but you talk about offering this to people and how it grew and grew and the accountability factor. And I think what everyone would be interested to hear is, you know, you talk about how some days, you know, it's 50-50 motivation for you. And I think that's important for people to hear that even someone like you, who we consider, you know, the ultimate alpha female, badass, awesome athlete, that you have moments where you're like, I, I don't want to get up and deal. <laughs> so I love that you you offered this to the locals and that, you know, it's accountability on both ends, it seemed, from what you said. Well, ultimately, it's the only way it really, truly works. And 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 the thing is that, the, you know, I could say that it's only on days that end with why that I might struggle to, to work out. <laughs> so it's, listen, it's an ongoing process. I, I've been training for 28 years at a pretty high level. And even, you know, Laird, um, I think the one thing both of us recognized many, many, many years ago was that creating a sense of community around your fitness was really not only a way to continue to enjoy it and continue uh, continue to learn new ideas and exchange ideas, but really to keep you accountable and, and inspired. Because, you know, if you look next to you and, a, you know, one of your brothers or sisters is like really busting their butt, um, it it is helpful. Um, and even if like in between you can have a laugh kind of thing, these sort of elements all add to the, the joy that is the grind. Um, but I, I don't really know too many people, whether they're high level or not, that can truly get it done on their own. There's occasionally somebody who is, you know, radical that way, but most of us need that community. Yeah, I would agree. And it's more fun. And honestly, it does get a lot of people who have been inactive, very motivated to be in a class environment because of the accountability. Um, I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about parenting. You've, you've, you've said so many wonderful things and interesting things on parenting. And I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. One is, what, what approach do you take with your children when it comes to sort of teaching or explaining what foods are healthy and what isn't? Like if, you know, one of your kids goes to a friend's house, has a bunch of junk, and then they're requesting it, Instead of just being like, hey, that's bad for you. I don't want you to eat it. What are some approaches that you've taken with your kids and educating them? Well, you know, first, I think it's it's what you what you do. Right. Kids are always watching you. They're not really listening. So they already intuitively have a sense of what how you feel about foods by watching you. Sure. So I think they understand kind of where their dad and I are about it. However, um, some basic stuff I've, I've done with my kids is 
you know, I, I've, I've shown them a picture um, this, I can't remember his name, Dave, it was of the Z. Um, he used to go, you know, eat this, not that, or don't eat this, eat that. Um, he used to be like with men's, I want to say like men's health. He used to do this comparison anyway. And it was very powerful in that he would do photos. Mm-hmm. And so one time I showed my girls a photo of like eight chocolate chip cookies stacked up next to a 16 ounce bottle of, of uh, an orange soda pop. And I said, you know, in our house, let's try to eat our sugar and not drink our sugar. Because wouldn't you rather have water? And then if you ask me for dessert, um, have two cookies. You know, because my thing, too, is I don't want to create such a big voodoo around it that then they become obsessed. Right. Um, I believe, and I've said this a lot, that it is children's currency. Um, you know, like, oh, dessert. You know, like it's, there's can't, you know, sugar and all this. So how do we teach them to navigate and manage it? Let's not make anything forbidden because forbidden becomes very um, enticing. Um, and, and also teaching them, you know, what's the difference between fun and what's the difference between food? Because even a bagel looks like food. It's sold as food. It really is fun. And so even within that, my kids understand a bagel really is fun. It is actually not food that is, that is you know, full of, full of enzymes and minerals and nutrients that will fuel my body. And we don't get into that technical talk, but they understand that that's really about it. It tastes good. I like that. I like that. That's a great perspective and and way to approach it. Um, in another podcast, you had mentioned that, you know, you shower your kids with love, but you're also demanding of them and that they have high standards of behavior and effort. And I, I would just love to know a little bit more about how you balance that. Maybe if there's an example that, that comes to mind of, of, being demanding or having one of those moments that then leads to their, their behavior and effort? Well, I think even, so for example, you know, my husband and I both come from, you know, somewhat difficult, you know, childhoods. And so, you know, what we have, what we feel strongly about is, is the capacity to work hard and do things correctly. Um, You know, I will hammer my children if they do it sort of half-hearted and it's like, hey, we don't we don't do things that way. We do it all the way. Um, nice. you know, we're also tough on them if it shows a a real lack of common sense. Um, because for me in this life, if you can have good manners, the capacity to work hard, and some common sense, you're off to a pretty good start. Um, Absolutely. So I think that we're very loose. Like, hey, you want to drive a vehicle and go fast, and occasionally, you know, chocolate. I'm cool. When you talk to people, you talk to them in their eyes. I am very serious about manners. And, um, and I don't, and I have a friend who's from the South and so it's yes, ma'am and all that. And I understand that's that culture, but I'm just saying greeting people standing up when they come to our house, standing up when they're leaving our house, looking at them in the eyes, proper salutations, um, taking your plate to the, to the sink, wherever you are. Um, but also if I smell entitlement in my children, um, (laughs) There will be nothing. I mean, that is the kind of stuff that provokes me. And they know that because, you know, you can't really get into it with kids like, oh, being grateful and gratitude because they're young. But you can stay on top of them. Like I'll say to them, when you leave this out or you don't put it away, what you're indirectly saying is someone else will do it. And that someone else is me. And I'm just telling you, that's not how we live. And and so there's just certain things where Laird and I are, are a bit harsh, very direct, um, because I feel these things are really, really important. These are fundamental things. 
Um, I tell my girls, you know, don't be a, never be a liar or a victim because again, you know, people who go through life going, this has been done to me, then they will continue to go through life. That will be happening. You know, we have a saying that if you have an ouch, God will give you a hurt kind of thing. And, and so my, my thing with them is we're, we're going to tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. And that's a hard, one of the hardest lessons for kids, right? Cause it's scary to tell the truth. Absolutely. But it's a lost art what you're talking about here in terms of it's the way I was parented, maybe about manners and you, you know, you should say yes and please and you stand up when someone comes in and you hold out your hand. And if I meet a little kid nowadays who does that, it's like I'm so overly impressed and enamored because it's so rare. I think it's wonderful you're teaching these your kids these lessons and Well, it's the basics. Listen, these are the basics. And if the, and if really if I'm trying to get my kids ready to get through life. Um, if you don't have these skills, it's going to be hard to navigate because people aren't going to help you if you don't know how to communicate to them. And, and that, and you know, like if my seven-year-old says, well, no, 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 you know, can you tie my bathing suit? It says, I just go, can we try again, please? Hey mom, when you get it, <laughs> you know, she'll, she'll go to a restaurant, my seven-year-old and I'll hear her and she'll say to the server, excuse me, when you get a chance, could I please have a fork? So, because what I'm saying is to them too, is People, especially people who are working really, really hard, those are actually the people you better treat the best because they're not, they're not getting a break. It's not like they're working hard at the restaurant and getting paid a ton of cheap cash or their job is so fun. It's like those are the people, especially you, bit of, you have to be extra kind to because it's hard enough already. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I love that you're teaching your kids not to be victims. That's just showing such responsibility for creating your own life and taking participation in some of the yucky moments that happen. You know, you get in a fight with another kid or something, there's there's responsibility there. Um, so I, I love that. Um, I also love to talk about this blog article on your website, GabrielleReese.com, for everyone out there. You t- this article is titled, Why Do I Feel I Have Something to Prove? And I when I read this, I just... Loved it because so often, not only mothers get the comment you got, which you brought up in the article, which is, oh, so you're just doing the mom thing, <laughs> that kind of that kind of attack, but it's sort of everywhere. It's like, oh, you're not married yet, but you're so great. Or this feels like this need that we have to justify our place in this world. You know, animals don't, no one else does, but this weird ego thing that comes up cross us and we feel like we have to justify. And you wrote a whole article about that. I'd love you to share a little bit about that experience. Well, I think sometimes, you know, when you just take some personal inventory about, you know, why am I feeling certain things or where's this coming from? And to your point, a lot of times when I'm feeling certain things and if I can connect it back to the right source, so it, is that my ego? Sure. So, you know, let's say before I had kids, it was like your career's like this, like that. And then you go to enough places and you go to the grocery store enough times and you, you know, pick after your kids enough times and you sort of a little bit on that hamster wheel and then you go somewhere and someone, I've had people say this to me a lot because if, if you have a, any public job, right, you only exist then if you are seen in the public in their mind. So meanwhile, they can't imagine that you have sort of a full life if they haven't seen you on TV. Right. <laughs> and, and it couldn't end if you're ego driven or ego vulnerable at that moment, you could be vulnerable to that. Like I, I can prove to you, you know, like I, I have meaningful, you know, stuff going on. Um, so when someone will say like, Oh, so now you're not playing ball anymore. Or what I haven't seen you around, you know, it's like, Oh, do I even freaking know you? You know, like see me around <laughs> where, 
Um, you know, so like, are you just doing the mom thing? And that's when you want, you know, you have the knee jerk to go, well, let me tell you everything I'm doing versus, and that's one of the real great things living in Hawaii is I have a very good friend in Hawaii. She grew up actually with my husband, a Hawaiian woman. And, um, she truly is the happiest person I know. Um, and she's very powerful. She has nothing to prove. And she enjoys her life and she's fulfilled. And, and so I look at that and I go, okay, so if I could experience my life from my looking from the inside out versus being what everyone is thinking about me, which is, you know, it's almost virtually impossible to do, but if I could do it more often than not, um, I'm going to be happier because I'm going to be doing things for the right reason. I'm going to be comfortable that, you know, cause it's never ending. So let's say I, I do a bunch of media and I'm out there, but then what happens the next week when I'm not, you know, it's like, that's a never ending thing that you, you can't fulfill. So what about great friendships and, you know, deep connections and taking care of myself and, and enjoying my life. And so, and not having, never feeling like you're doing it to show somebody like, look how special and important I am because the people who really love you, they love you. Yeah, and, that, and they know that already. And, and that's all that matters. They're not like loving you because, oh, I saw you in this picture. They, or you're the CEO. They don't care. They love you. And that's all we really have anyway. So, it, you know, it's a constant calibration, that part, because you have to like almost have enough ego to kind of, to go out in, in the world. Like it's both. Sure. Um, but then it's always like this thing to, to, to really go, hey, where's that coming from? Uh, it's, it's, and, and, you know, listen, moms are the most underrated warriors that I know. And when I say that, I don't mean moms like me who also get the opportunity and, and to work. I'm talking about moms who choose to, uh, like, that's what they're doing while the kids are younger. Uh, they're, they're powerful and, and it's, and it's a lot of work it's and a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And those, and they're the ones also like for me, like culture, society, they're the ones who are that difference that they're making in those children that are going out. They're the ones having that influence. That is very, very powerful, but we don't, it's like a good school teacher. You know, we don't ultimately really celebrate that. Right. And it's interesting, you know, the, the having something to prove, and you mentioned Hawaii, and I have family on Maui, and I spent a month in Kauai for the first time this, this year, which I want to chat with you a little bit about. I loved it so much, but I always feel so comfortable, so even more comfortable in everything being in Hawaii, because it's a place where, for the most part, you probably agree, people don't care what kind of car you drive, what you do. A lot of people are in the service industry because of tourism, and Nobody looks down on anyone that you're a waitress or you're a CEO. No one really gives a crap. And I love that because it really is just, who are you? You know, and are you fun to hang out with? And it doesn't matter what your resume says. You know, half the people aren't even watching TV anyway. So, you know, but um, I love that about Hawaii. I'm sure you must feel a difference coming to Malibu <laughs> for six months out of the year. Well, you know, I love the, the notion of being on the mainland and you sort of go, hey, it's a big world and you can dream to be anything that you want. I think that's very powerful. True. But I think that the grounding, you know, I grew up in the Caribbean, so I, I grew up with that. Um, but it's even a little bit heavier in Hawaii because I feel like the Polynesian culture and influence is so about family. 
um, that it, it it's, you know, it's very, very strong. And, and, you know, my husband who's from Kauai says, you know, Hawaiians don't care who you are. They care how you are. And, I love that. and, and at the end of the day, if you go there with your nose in the air, it, you're, it's not going to work. No, you're going to get major stink eye. <laughs> yeah. So they just, you know, for me, I always say I've lived there for 20 years and Laird is from there, but I, I'll tell you what, I act like a visitor. I'm a visitor. This is not, I was, you know, this isn't my Island. I will act like a visitor. And, and then what happens is, is I get accepted into the community. I get loved um, because, because humility, again, there's great strength in humility. And so we celebrate sort of, um, people who were like, this is mine and I'm going and, you know, it's all that. But ultimately for me personally, I'm much more attracted to the strength and humility, um, and people who possess that trait, um, than, than, than a lot of other trades. Yeah, I would agree. I also love, would love to bring this topic up. You, there was a recent article where you talked about being married to an alpha man and, and you were providing tips on that. And less about the tips, but more about, you know, in, in our eyes, I think, and again, I don't know you personally, and a lot of people listening don't, but we do see you as, and at least from interviews and, and so on, you know, you seem to be the ultimate of what an alpha female represents. And I'm sure there's been some trials and tribulations along the way, like I'm an alpha female myself, and I'm just wondering along with just dating and also marriage, you know, those those nuances of getting into your feminine, you know, and perhaps maybe, you know, alpha females sometimes do need an alpha versus a beta male to sort of, you know, polarize them, make them sort of feel a little bit more feminine too in certain ways. How do you balance that or or what kind of, you know, challenges have you come across over the years with being an alpha female and then also learning to accept and embrace the feminine part of you? You know, it's interesting. When I wrote this in my book, I would have never thought it was like such a big, surprising conversation. And if every single thing in my book, this right here has been the most talked about, pulled out and discussed. So I find it fascinating. And I think for me, I was just speaking again, very frankly, about um, something that I assumed that many women experienced, um, because in this day and age, especially, and never mind, even if you go back to like the frontier days where women are busting their butt and like getting stuff done, they're in their alpha. How do you calibrate that gear shift when you're in a dynamic with, a, with an alpha male? Because, right. because the conversation, so I felt comfortable talking about it because I thought I would always portray, like be strong, be independent, all this stuff. And so that it was clear why I was coming from, but I think what was interesting for me was women so quickly wanted to say, no, but we're equal. And my thing was, yes, no, we're not well, sort we're of, equal, but we are different. And so why are we, why can't we discuss that weird, subtle nuance about being very different? Because on my most masculine day, I am not going to be as masculine as Laird. Right. Now there are plenty of men that in certain ways, I certainly am more masculine, but I'm not with them. So I think for me, it was sort of, I didn't know that language in my 20s when I met my husband. I was 25. I almost got divorced when I was 30. And I'm not saying that was due to that, but that certainly was an element of learning that dance. Right. And and I think the reason I was attra- I'm attracted to him and I want to be with him is because of the way he conducts himself. It allows me to explore that feminine side, because I know, Hey, he's got, he's in charge over there. I'm cool. I can kind of go over here and, and sort of explore in this where sometimes if we're single or we're alpha or with a guy, maybe we don't really 
feel we can rely on that way, we won't let ourselves go there. Right. That's a good point. And so I liked this idea because then I got to learn other sides of my personality and also even having children, you know, it's, it it was like, it allowed me to play more in that role, which, which for me felt like another opportunity to express myself in a different way, not better or worse. Um, and so it was just like that conversation of like, okay, so how do you go out in the world? You tell everybody what to do. You boss everybody around you're, you know, even like, listen, stay at home moms, their alphas out in the world. They're getting it done. They're hitting schedules. They're telling kids what to do. They're, I mean, they are getting it all done. Yep. When your guy walks through the door, how do you go like, oh, hi, honey, how are you? It's, and it's like, and also, you know, I tell my friends, you want, you say you want to be with a king. So you have to treat them like a king. And so my thing was too, is like, how do we navigate this and also help our partner be the best that they can be? Because that's what it is. It's a partnership, right? I'm hoping Laird is loving me and supporting me and cherishing me in a way that helps me be the best me I can be. But I believe wholeheartedly that if a woman can navigate that, she will help her partner in, a, in almost way more than he will ever, ever help her. And, and, um, And it like people got so freaked out, but, but part of that was like, Hey, but I have a partner who is on the same page, but I'm only in control of my side. I can't tell Laird what to do. I can only speak from what I'm trying to do. And and the other thing I've learned most times with people, the best way to influence them is to inspire them by your actions, not to try to bully them or tell them what to do. Right. And, and so if Laird like comes home and he's in a bad mood and almost belligerent, if I go down to his level, nothing's going to change. But if I hold my line, he comes right out of it and is very quick to say, hey, sorry if I was you know wonky earlier. But, but people are afraid because they feel like, oh, I'm going to be it's going to be perceived as weak or someone's taking advantage. It's like, yeah, no, we're human and it's messy. And so how do we, you know, try the best that we can and. And, um, and in that moment, it seems like you're also, you know, you're saving your own sanity in that moment. You're not going to stoop down to a level of a mood that you are not already in, <laughs> you know, you're not going to engage right. in that. Yeah. Nothing to, and it has nothing to do with you. I always joke that I ignore about 30% of my husband and my children's moods because it's the only way I can stay sane and, and, and joking. Cause it's like a seven year old or a five year old or a three year old. Are you going to go up and down with them all day long? No. Right. And, and men are whether we can recognize it or not, they're, they are emotional and in different ways than women, right? We have this overt, like, oh, we cry, we do this. But men have a different kind of sensitivity that I actually think is more sensitive than women. And so it's like, let them, because they'll come out of it. And by the way, if they're decent, which a lot of them are, they'll just go, hey, sorry, you know? Right. Um, but I, again, I didn't know that in my twenties, I got myself right involved with it. I was like, if you loved me more, you wouldn't treat me like that. And then we get in a fight, <laughs> and he, you know, he'd be out of the mood and I'd be in the mood. And, and so I've learned, and then, you know, having said all that, if it's just becomes too much, I can put my foot down. Right. But you know, it's like, pick your battles. How would you want to walk around doing that? I, I don't. No, I, one of the things I like that you said in one of your tips, I mean, yeah, there were a couple of tips in the article, you know, obviously like food and sex, you know, keep your man happy. But, but one of the things I liked was your last point, which you said, you know what, don't, if you have an alpha male, you don't mother him because they don't need that type of instruction in your life. And I thought that was such a pearl of wisdom because a lot of my friends, um, so, you know, there's guys out there who may seem alpha, they may, 
you know, rah, 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 be doing their sports and stuff. It doesn't mean they're alpha. It means they have traits or characteristics thereof and it looks like it. But I feel like truly alpha men don't need that part. They don't need to be mothered. And if you're mothering a guy and you're babying him all the time, he's probably not a true alpha male. And I love that you just pointed out that nuance because I feel like women get themselves into that mode and it's like you're dealing with a beta there. If you really want an alpha, those kind of guys don't need that. It's not that they need attention, but that, that whole mothering comment you made, I really, really resonated with me. Well, yeah. And, and, and the, the joke is right. Like I, like a lot of times, and this could be, you know, people could say I'm out of my mind and I'm totally open to that. This is just my opinion, but I have said, is Laird the person I trust more than any person? Yes. Could I tell him anything? Yes, I could. Is me, is he my confidant? Yes. Is he my best friend? No, because I don't want him. I don't want to talk about like shoes and this and that. He's not my girlfriend. He's my partner. He's my friend. He's my lover. He's the father of my children. You know, he's the guy who has my back. And certain things I say for my girlfriends, because at the end of the day, I, I still, you know, I want to have sex with him. And I, and it's hard for me to transition like from one to the other. And I think it's the same when you're mothering them. Like, did you do this? You're talking too loud. And then like what you're supposed to go in the room. And then it's very difficult. So right. it probably doesn't make you very attractive either the person that's mothering. No. I mean, eventually and, no one wants to have sex with their mother. Let's be honest. Yeah. Right. And they, and they resent you. And, and, and so I think, and Laird was always very good about keeping that. Like, I think women, and I am included in this, obviously we do want to kind of take control of everything. It's just in our nature. And so if a man will allow us, we will. And then what happens is he makes all the changes we ask. And then we're like, ew, I don't want him anymore. So I think Lair was always connected to like, listen, if the changes she's, she needs are, seem kind of reasonable, like, you know, then of course, but otherwise I'm not, I'm not going for it. And he's right because, because there's a checks and a balance. And, and so it, it kind of keeps me on my toes and I'm like, ha ha ha, you know, all this, where if I just took over and had total control, it would be hard for me. Right. I, I, I just, I was honestly, I laughed so many times. I listened to your audiobook. Uh, your uh, Gabby, everyone narrates her own book. My, my foot is too big for the glass slipper. And I loved it. First of all, I love that you drop a ton of F-bombs and S-bombs. So that really was great. <laughs> but, but aside from that, you are such a no BS approach to everything you send that book. And one of the things I was laughing about as I was listening to it, I literally had the thought, I thought, oh my God, has her husband even heard this? Because you are just so brutally honest about it's such a, it's such a great expose of a marriage or any marriage's relationship, the way you're so honest about it and these dynamics uh, between the two of you and just in general, I thought it was, I just want to commend you for being so honest and open about that. I mean, very few people are who are in the spotlight you're in. And I think it's great that you're sharing with all of us. I think every woman should listen to your audiobook, frankly. Well, thank you. I just think we shouldn't be afraid. I think you know, listen, I have the most love and respect for Laird of any person. And and I always say I'm not nicer to any person than I am to Laird. But it is what it is. And I, I don't want to paint it like, oh, it's it's never. Like people go like, how are your children? And I'm like, they're unruly. Like I have <laughs> friends and they're like, I saw a girl who's an actress, very famous actress a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, hey, how are you? How are your kids? Oh, they're so great. I'm like, really? Because mine are a bunch of animals. I don't know how you do it, you know? Right. But I'm just saying like, there's something for me that is so fun in the messiness and in 
the imperfection and in the learning, it's liberating to go, hey, this is the way it is. And we're doing the very best we can. We love each other. Overall, it's pretty good. And okay. You know, I also, oh, I don't know if you still do this. Maybe you do since it's only been a couple of years since the book uh, was released. But um, I love that you actually draw a line with electronics in your household with your children. Do you still only allow one hour a day of electronics? Oh, yeah. It's a nightmare, though. It is a dogfight. You'd think it was like a new rule in place, you know, and it is a nightmare. Like, it's like, you know, they're start, they're sneaking. They're, they're oh, I'm not on the thing. I'm just looking up something. I mean, you know. <laughs> a lot of, they're, they're, I, guess, I guess they haven't heard the advice yet. I'm being liars and victims. They need to, to get. Yeah, I'm doing life. research. I'm like, uh-huh. So, I mean, you know, it's ongoing. And, and Laird is the worst because he's like, I'm going to take them and take my truck and run over everything. He would have no problem. Like, I'm the one trying to say, hey, listen, this is going to be a part of their life. Let's teach them. He's like, just throw it out, you know? Yeah, if it were up to your husband, he'd probably communicate via smoke signals or something still, right? He's very like, no cell phone. (laughs) He's like, like, listen, you know, more eyeballs, less emails. Laird's all about very direct communication um, and straight. Like, is there a problem? Let's have, let's talk about the problem. Like he is so direct. You seem that way too, though. Your audiobook seem, and that's what I really loved about listening to it. I mean, I, I don't know you, but you know, I've seen a few interviews here and there, but I really felt like I got a taste of, I was like, wow, you are a no BS person, which is my favorite type of person <laughs> because there's just no walking on eggshells, no passive aggressive behavior. Usually with those people, you know what you're going to get. If there's something wrong, they're going to tell you. And that's, I mean, I grew up in downtown Chicago. That's kind of oh. how people are. And, you know, I love that sensibility about you. You you seem like that kind of person yourself. Uh, well, I think I've become more like that. I think age and also I think Laird has really taught me that it's better. And he also made it safe. Like he taught, I was allowed to be that direct with him, even though I try to be, I try to be loving and tactful. I don't try to be like where I'm going to you know, at the end, like if you're communicating directly, but your motive is still to solve, make it better, that's a good place to come from versus I just, I want to communicate with you directly to hurt you or show you that you're wrong. That's, that's difficult, right? But if you can sort of, if someone understands like where you're coming from is really more of a heartfelt kind of good place. Um, but he really taught me that because I, I don't know that I was so courageous before I met him. And then he sort of taught me like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, that's great. sounds like there's a lot of honest, direct communication and you can't go wrong there. Yeah. Even when it's painfully uncomfortable and he, and even when it's not with me, like we'll go someplace and I'll see someone acting like really weird. And I know it's only going to be a matter of minutes before Laird, even if he doesn't know them, we'll go, is something wrong? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's gotta be an awkward moment and probably sweating. kind of fun to watch. <laughs> oh, I'll start sweating before it happens. Cause I know it's coming. Like this person's like acting weird or giving him some weird attitude unnecessarily. And I'm like, Oh God, here it comes. And I'm like, how's your day going? And he's like, is something up? Like, and you just go, oh my God, because people don't expect that. Right. They don't. And, and, and because he, he's also all about accountability. So what you say or how you act or what you do, you have to stand by, by that. And so, you know, it's, that's very Hawaii though. You know, people like you, you don't get to just kind of loosely tell people, Hey, F you or do that doesn't work. So, um, cause you're going to see him again, like the like next minute. Time. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be super accountable. And I think it's really important, but at times it's uncomfortable. 
Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, you know, speaking of Hawaii and Kauai, I wanted to just, I, I had such a, I've never been to Kauai. I went there for the first time uh, for the month of June. Uh-huh. I had the most amazing experience ever. But one of the things that really just made me sad is what's happening right now to all of Hawaii, which is this kind oh. of debacle with the pesticides and, yeah. you know, the chemical companies testing their chemicals on GMO land. And for anyone out there who's interested, you can go to hawaiiseed.org. But this has become a real statewide problem in Hawaii. And, and then I went to Maui after Kauai and, you know, protesters everywhere. And I just couldn't believe that I was pretty much running every day, uh, you know, down in Keikaha, like next to pesticides being sprayed on me for like a month. I had no idea what, what I was involved in until I heard what was going on. What's your take on all of it? And I mean, how are you guys feeling? You're not as affected maybe on the North Shore per se, well, but you're affected. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, ultimately, it, you know, we're all connected, whether we're in Hawaii or not. And the sure, fact sure. that we're the same island, um, you know, so there, there's a couple sides to it, right? So you have the people who are, this is their job and this right, is how right. they feed their family. So you're dealing with that element coupled with, you know, these big companies, Dow and Monsanto and all these big guys come in and they can, they can do a Petri dish all year round. And because the conditions are ideal, the soil, the rain, everything. And the problem is, is they were doing it for so many years before people truly understood what was going on. And most likely, I would assume, had the right people on their side. And it's a problem because, you know, it's sort of like, you know, we always say that Hawaii and especially Kauai was almost probably like the original Eden if there was one. You know, there's nothing poisonous. You know, it's sort of this incredible place. And, um, you know, when they spray, they tell them they can't go out for 24 to 48 hours. So what does that tell you? They're not willing to divulge what they're spraying and they are near schools, hospitals and retirement homes. So it's wrong on a lot of levels. Um, And I do appreciate that it's a small place. And because the dollar for the for the Hawaiians is not the ultimate, it's not the most important thing. Um, I think that's why there's only a a fighting chance because they are willing to speak up, you know, that's right. They have a lot of accountability and ownership well, for where they live. They really feel this connection that um, most people don't. Well, Hawaiians prior, like in old civilization, right? They never even owned anything. They were stewards. And so the ownership only came when the missionaries came and said, I'll give you a bag of nails and a hammer and I'd like to have the valley. They didn't want <laughs> you know, they didn't understand because that's not their gearing. They don't need to possess own. It was sort of like, I'll watch over. Um, and their mentality is still very much like that. It's also about their children, their children's children. You know, the Native Americans used to make decisions based on how will it affect seven generations. And, and you know, American mentality is how what's a quick buck now, you know. And so I think the, the bad side is, is the obvious stuff that we've just talked about. The good side is, is that if there's a group that could bring attention and fight and eradicate that type of stuff going on, even though it's going to take a little while, it would be the Hawaiians. Yeah, I would agree. And and one of the things I found out that was really unfortunate, like here in California, there's a governing body that, you know, is sort of a little bit of a watchdog group where companies have to reveal how much they're spraying, what they're spraying, when they're spraying. But in Hawaii, there is no such rule. And so that's the problem is because they could do it anytime, anywhere, and they're just given free license. And, you know, it's, um, I've heard that 
the land is being ruined to the point where it might take planting hemp in about 10 years to really regenerate the kind of damage that's been going on. I'm not sure if you've heard something similar, but I'm definitely concerned about it and want to keep an eye. And I want to enlist everyone out there right now. If you love Hawaii, I can't imagine anyone who doesn't. Go to hawaiiseed.org, get involved, donate, and look up the issue and do what you can to help because Hawaii is, you know, our United States really only paradise um, other than Malibu. It is, <laughs> um, it is and, and the soil there and the water, like the Chinese have come and the, some of the cleanest water in the world is in Hawaii. And these are, these are you know, precious commodities that I think really deserve to be protected and, and um and again, I think what happened is these groups got in here before anybody really knew what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I'm so glad it's being brought to everyone's attention, and, and thanks for chatting about it. I just wanted to bring the attention even further because I just I love Hawaii so much. When I'm not there, I'm thinking about it. You know, I love it that much. Um, it's important. To finish up, I just wanted to, like, what's your what's your favorite sport right now? I mean, I know you're doing the high X. You've got some, like, water workout you and Laird have been doing. But what's your kind of favorite thing right now? Are you really into paddling? Are you into some beach volleyball lately? Or, like, what, what's what's your most fun right now? God, you know, I love beach volleyball. But my right knee, it, it's like almost like I can't do anything else if I do that. So I've had to sort of give that up. Um, I love to stand up paddle. Uh, but paddle, I don't. Surfing is so combative that um, I kind of gave that up several years ago, probably 15 years ago, because it's just, you know, you have to kind of be willing to get in a rub with people. And I just kind of thought I'm good. Um, And the pool workout, um, Laird has a pool workout called XPT, and I love it. It's uh, ballistic training underwater, low impact, um, just even being under the water. uh, What do you mean by ballistic training? Can you clarify that? Yeah. So so as we get older, the tendency would be people go, I'm going to do low impact. But reality is we need to try to continue and even increase how much high impact training we do. It's really good for our bones. It's good for our hormones. It's just really good on a lot of levels. However, um, sometimes ballistic training to do it in a, in a supported and safe environment is, is difficult to do. So the water allows me to hold heavier weights and I can do ballistic jumps, let's say, mm-hmm. but yet I'm not pounding my joints. So I'm getting the benefits of being dynamic and explosive, but in a way where I'm fully supported, I can maybe move into ranges of motion that I normally can on land, but I'm supported in the water. And, and also, you know, I say this a lot. Just the opportunity, and I know it's harder when you're in a cold weather place, and I totally get that, but just the opportunity to be outside, um, I find that to be not only calming, but so therapeutic. And uh, so for me to be under the water is great. And that, and that's why I like stand-up paddling. For a lot of people, maybe they're even, I don't want to say afraid of the water, but they're not as comfortable. You can be on top of the water, so you can enjoy being outside. But I always tell a lot of my friends, you don't even have to get your hair wet. Right. Oh, the I don't even get more than, you know, like my toes wet when I paddle. Right. If you if you're if you're entering if you're entering at the right place in Malibu, you could just walk right up the board and walk right off of it. Yeah. That's right. So I just think sometimes those opportunities like I mean it sounds ridiculous, but like I have an elliptigo, which is a stand-up bike, so you are not in that position where your hips are shortened and plus you're not sitting on a seat, you're standing. It looks goofy, but it's it's actually a great workout. That's interesting. What's it called again? Elliptigo. 
Um, E-L-L-I-P-T-I-G-O. So what it is, is it's basically, if you're an elliptical machine, except it's, you're, so you're standing, but you're really also have two wheels. So you're on a bike. So your movement is very, is the same, but you're going up. And so it's, it's about three times uh, the weight of a bicycle. So for uphill work, it's, it's a great, it's a, it's great exercise. Um, now if you were going to try to race the road bike bikers, you'd have a problem. Um, but it's really good for your body. Your glutes get extension behind you. You fire those muscles. You're standing, you're not sitting on a seat. Your hip flexors aren't shortened. Um, it's pretty fantastic. That sounds amazing. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. There's Um, those are great. Actually. What are some of your, uh, in, in sort of closing any kind of, um, favorite sort of supplements or things you do on a regular basis that you found that you love? I know that when Laird was talking to Mark, you know, Laird talked about his morning routine and the uh-huh. liquids and the maca shake. Like, do you mind sharing us like what your, yeah. what your sort of, you know, routine yeah. of eating is? So right now in the morning, I do take Makuna, which is a powder that can also help, um, amongst other things. It's good for your brain, but it can also help, um, with some of your testosterone levels. Okay. Um, and so I just put a tiny bit, it has kind of a multi taste to it. And, um, I just put it in a little bit of yogurt and then at night, um, oddly. And so is Laird. I'm vitamin D deficient. I, I don't, you know, it happens, you know, you can spend two hours in the sun every day and still, I know, it's just, <laughs> and you can't wear sunglasses and you know, it goes on and on. Don't right. wear sunglasses. So I'm vitamin D deficient. So I am taking a vitamin D and I am taking fish oils at the moment. Um, I'm low in iron. So I do take an iron supplement right now. A a good way to increase your iron a a little more naturally is by putting lemon on leafy greens because then your body absorbs it more. So that's Yeah, vitamin C does. I used to have anemia issues and, uh, not only does vitamin C help the absorption, but also if people, uh, want to also occasionally use just cooking things in an iron skillet, like a cast iron skillet. Um, I'm all for supplementation though, because when it gets too low, it's not something that can be achieved via burgers and liver. It really, yeah, as you probably know, um, that's important too. We, we've talked about that before that women really have to, you know, as a menstruating female and when you work out, you lose more iron than most. So Every woman out there should get a ferritin test. It should be between probably 70 and 100. There's some other uh, iron elements as well in testing, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it's really important. Yeah, and that's so that's a big one for me because also, like you said, I'm training, I'm doing this, but also as I get older, um, there are certain things that are happening in my monthly cycle that because I have less estrogen, there's certain days that are heavier now. And so now I have to support myself on top of it with iron. Um, right. Otherwise you're in like a two steps forward, one step back scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing that. And then I do take an amino before I go to bed. And right at the moment I am taking, I'm not a great sleeper. I've had always a little bit of a hard time sleeping. It got worse after I had children. Um, cause I have a hard time quieting my mind, but, um, I take a powdered magnesium. Um, oh, I love that, that. I, the magnesium drink. Is that what you're talking about where you mix it in the water? Yeah. And it tastes great and I feel relaxed and, you know, not to be gross, but it, it can be helpful with elimination in the morning. And, you know, it's just overall. It's, yeah. It's, that's the number one go-to fix for anyone dealing with constipation. Don't go straight for the X-lax or any of these kind no. of like, you know, irritants to your bowels. Just try, you know, two to 400 milligrams of magnesium at night and you'll be surprised. Yeah. Oh, you know, what's really intense that nobody knows about except the whole, the Polynesians know is if you drink coconut water and a lot of it, and especially if it's almost a little bit old, like it's almost starting to ferment, 
Really? It is a instantaneous laxative. Well, isn't coconut in general, like I feel like yes. too much, right, like too much coconut or coconut oil even can really definitely make things okay. happen. Yes, it does. But that's like, if you have an issue, like you're in a situation that you've been traveling and you're kind of, you know, having a hard time that can be very powerful. I love that. The coconut water. That's an interesting tip. So what, you just kind of like leave it out for a little bit longer than you should? Or how do you get it to where? Yeah. yeah. If it's just a little bit, almost like where it's almost going to go bad, it's, it's very strong. So that you just be close to home. Yeah. Be- <laughs> nice. Thank you so much for joining us. Everyone is going to be so excited to to hear this and hear about what you have to say. And and everyone, GabrielleReese.com, there's videos on there. There's great articles. And also your wonderful book, My Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper. I hope everyone goes out there and buys it. It's, it's really awesome and very empowering for women. I feel like it's a great woman's woman book. Well, I think, you know, listen, I always believe that our it's our girlfriends, our group, our tribe, whatever you want to call it, that they're the ones who help us navigate it like and on every level. And, and, you know, another thing I was thinking as, as we get older too, is if we, if we can be around other women where the conversation really lends itself to every day, we really have the opportunity to be better somehow, then we won't always be focused on, Oh, I'm not 25. Oh, my skin. Oh, my butt. That's all part of it. I get it. I'm a chick too. But I just think if you think today could I be a little more flexible? Or today, I I was handling it like this. Maybe I can handle it like that. That there's always an opportunity to be better, but it helps to have girlfriends around you that are kind of uppers. Absolutely. And they go, yeah, you can. And I just think that's really, really, really important. It is. And on that same note, you, you know, you have a video on your website where you talk about not giving your flaws attention or, you know, minimizing the attention and focus that you put on it. We're all aging. If you really have a concern, you could talk to your girlfriend about it, but don't be pointing out your flaws to people. I think a lot of women make the mistake you talk about in the video where you say, you know, you don't ever go up to Lair and go, honey, can you see this crow's like line? Like, you know, don't, they don't notice. Don't point it out. Like don't draw attention to it. So I like that advice. No, I saw Laird yesterday and when I, I, we were passing each other, like one was leaving while I was leaving, he was coming, whatever in the car. And I just looked at him and I, I smiled and I talked to him for a second and he goes, um, you know, thanks for your smile. And, and sometimes women don't realize someone told me this a long time ago, men only see what you project, but I think that's true of humans, right? Like we only really see what people are projecting. That's true. Great words of wisdom. Thank you so much. And just continued luck and success with everything that you guys are doing. And hopefully I'll, uh, if I see you on the water there in Malibu next summer, I will, I'll, I'll pull over. Please, pull over. <laughs> please, please do. And thank you for your thoughtful conversation. And sorry, I had to, uh, I had to rejigger our time. Sorry no, no that. problem at all. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Aloha. Bye. Aloha. Bye. Are you someone who appreciates a fast, casual dining experience? Is it important that the taste of your food and the freshness of the ingredients take center stage? Well, bringing that experience to a table near you is the mission of the hottest new franchise concept in North America, Primal Kitchen Restaurants. If you want to learn more about this one-of-a-kind franchising opportunity, go to PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com. That's PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com.